Thank you, Brother Wheeler, and good evening to everybody. How are you feeling tonight? I was thinking about a song we used to sing, um, When I Think About the Lord, How He Saved Me, How He Raised Me, How He Set My Feet on Solid Ground. It makes me want to shout, Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, you're worthy of all the glory, all the honor, and all of the praise. I just love that song. Maybe we'll bring it back sometime, but that's how I feel tonight. Just when I think about the goodness of the Lord, it just makes me want to worship. It makes me want to praise. It, it just it makes, makes my heart uh, just, just beat stronger with passion for Jesus. And so if you're here tonight and you feel that way, would you just clap your hands to the Lord and just, just lift up your voice and praise. Lord, we just want to say thank you, Jesus. Lord, you're worthy of all of the glory, all the honor, and all of the praise. We love you, Jesus. God has been good to us. Amen. Amen. Tonight is a big night. We've been really excited about tonight. I've been looking forward to it, and, and as we get into this, I think you will be too. And by the way, did you hear about the guy that walked into the library and said, I hope you don't have a book on reverse psychology? I'll let you think about that one for a few minutes. Um, but anyway, uh, just throwing that out there and just, just wondering about that. But anyway, tonight is a big night, and um, we are just excited about this concept and this idea that we're going to talk about tonight on small groups. I want to talk to you tonight from the topic, building relationships through small groups. And I had to chuckle just a little bit as I was finishing my final prep for tonight since the first of the year. Uh, I'm, I'm always just tweaking and trying different things when it comes to preaching and teaching and public speaking, and, and Pastor has, has mentored us in that way and, and kind of pushed us to continue to grow and try different things. So since the first of the year, I've, I've adopted, I've stopped using the iPad as much and gone to paper notes, and there's a, a couple of reasons for that. One is, not, um, not here at Grace, we have the lighting really worked out here and everything's good here but sometimes when you're preaching out I've been in situations where the lighting casts such a glare on the screen of the iPad that I couldn't see my notes and uh, interestingly that that's when we had the best church and the Lord moved the, the best is when I couldn't see my notes to preach that's kind of interesting how that works not really but um, so I've been using these paper notes and I preached here a couple of Sundays ago and had my paper notes and I very humbly had to enlarge the font of my typeset on my notes. And then that happened again tonight when I was printing out my paperwork. I had to enlarge the font of these Word documents. And that's a very odd thing for a 21-year-old man to have to do. But here I stand before you with, with, with having these, these things that are happening to my sight. Those that know, those that have gone before me, told me, said, when you hit 40, Get ready, it all changes, and, and I'm living to, to live that tale, unfortunately. But tonight, having said all of that, um, we are. this is a big night. A lot of preparation, planning, and prayer has gone into this evening. I've been looking forward to it for a long time, and I hope that you will walk away with, share, with, with a fresh vision and a fresh understanding of what small groups can be what they currently are and what they can be here at Grace Church. So what we're going to do, I want to just give you a, a quick roadmap of what tonight's going to look like. I'm going to give you, we're going we're gonna to look into the Word and do just a short Bible study on the importance of relationships. And then 
I would like to spend a little while casting the vision for small groups here at Grace Church, give you an overview of the structure and kind of the culture that we want to pursue here going forward. And then, not tonight, but going, but later in the future on April the 14th, We'll be having a meeting with all of our small group leaders, and we're going to dig deeper into this concept, deeper into this idea, and lay a foundation and do some digging into how we can make our small groups even better. So those of you that are small group leaders, and here's a hint, if I mention the small group you lead tonight, that's you, you'll be getting an email very soon about the meeting that we'll be having on April the 14th. A Gallup poll, a Gallup poll recently concluded that Americans are among some of the loneliest people in the world. Americans are among some of the loneliest people in the world, and I find that to be such an interesting, interesting conclusion because because we live in a hyper-connected society. We have text messages. We have social media. We have uh, technology like FaceTime and Skype and and we're more connected now than we ever have been, yet the folks at Gallup found that we're actually some of the loneliest people in the world. And another, maybe saying it another way, we're lonelier now than we've ever been before. And it's, it's interesting that we live in a society now that we, are, we have, we, we're, we're acquainted with many people, but we're known by very few. And I think that's an accurate statement and an accurate reflection of our society. I think this is tragic, and I think this is, a, this is sad because I believe that relationships are the most important thing we have in life. And I hate to call it a thing. I just couldn't think of another word. I thought maybe commodity, but that didn't sound right either. But, but relationships are among the most valuable things that we possess in this life. And, and, and here's how I know that. If, if you were on your deathbed, if, if life was coming to an end for you, you would not ask for someone to bring all of your stocks and your mutual funds and your investments and, and have them kind of pile those up around your bed so that they could be with you on your way out to the eternal reward. You wouldn't ask somebody to drive your, your shiny sports Mercedes Benz up and roll it there right beside your bed and have your Mercedes Benz there with you when you pass. No, most people, when they're in their final hours, want their loved ones and, a, and maybe a few close friends to come by and be by their bedside and maybe, maybe even hold their hand in those final moments. But that can only happen if relationships have been invested in throughout your life. It's amazing how the end of our life brings a lot of clarity to what's most important. And it's amazing how people always want their loved ones by their side at the end of their life. I was with a family just this week who lost who had just lost a loved one and and they were telling me how as their loved one departed they were able to be around the bedside and they were able to sing and pray and hold their hand and say their goodbyes and have meaningful time as that loved one slipped away. That's that's what's most important when you really break uh, when you really take away all of the distractions and all of the other things that we accumulate and that we bring into our life. This idea was brought home to me very clearly just a few weeks ago. My grandfather passed away. He was 94 years old. He was a World War II vet, an amazing, amazing man. Just I, I wish you could have gotten to know him. He had a, 
a tremendous sense of humor, loved to talk, which is an important point I'll come to in just a second. But my grandfather was 94 years old when he passed away, lived a wonderful life, lived the American dream, as I mentioned, fought in World War II. And he, he, uh, I, I was privileged to be the one to, 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 to perform the funeral service, to preach at his funeral and say some things about my grandfather, very privileged. But this is what was amazing about it. Being 94 years old, my grandmother is 89. I honestly thought that the funeral service would be made up of just a, a few close family members. And the reason was not that my grandparents didn't have friends or meaningful relationships. They've just outlived most of their friends in meaningful relationships. They've lived that long. And so I thought, well, we'll just have a few close, maybe a friend or two that's, that's, that's around, but mostly just family, maybe 20 people. And it'll be just a very small, intimate service that we'll have for my grandfather. I was shocked when we got to the funeral service and the, the funeral chapel filled up. There was, I'm sure, over 100 people there to pay their respects to my grandfather. It was people from the community. It was people from, from years ago that, that were neighbors and, and, and even the children of, of my grandparents' friends, the, the next generation w had come, and there were people that where he used to go eat at the restaurant, and there, there was just this amazing outpouring of support of people whose lives he had touched. And my brother, be, if you've never talked to my brother, by the way, Steve, Steve, wave your hand. Steve has a very unique way of communicating, okay? Steve has a very unique way of communicating. He's very succinct. He doesn't waste a lot of words. So if you've never talked with Steve, you should go back there and have a conversation with him after church. But he said this, he said, you know, we knew how much Papa meant to us. We just didn't know how much he meant to everybody. It was such a great statement because my Papa, over the course of 94 years, had invested so much into relationships. My grandfather loved to talk, and, and so he, if he went to the shopping mall with my grandmother, he would find somebody to talk to, usually for a very long period of time. Usually you couldn't quite get away, and he had these very long stories that he liked to tell. But the thing about it is, is that you always walked away from an encounter with my grandfather having found a new friend. He was, he was just that kind of guy. He was friendly. He was outgoing. And he always wanted to give you something, even if it was just a piece of candy out of his pocket. Everywhere he went, he was looking for ways to give somebody something. And that was just the kind of guy he is. The point of all of that is that at the end of his life, the relationships that he had established, the people he had sown into were the most important things. And we saw firsthand how much of a difference uh, he had made in his community, in his world. Relationships are very, very important. The reason is, is because we were made for relationship. I want you to look at somebody sitting close by you and say, you were made for relationship. You were made for relationship. It's it's. Amazing story when you look at it this way. In Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, God made, of course, everything. The heavens and the earth. He spoke them into existence. And he said after each day of creation, what did he say? It is good. It is good. It is good. And then on the sixth day, if you read it, he actually ups it a notch and says, it is very good. So God was very pleased with what he had done. It was good. And then it was very good. But then in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, he looks at the man he created and says, it is not good that man should be alone. So this is very interesting then because, 
Because here, God has, has gone all the way through and saying, it is good, it is good, it is good. And then he says, wait a minute, mankind, man is alone, and that is not good. The author, Joel Ortberg, makes the following observation that brings some additional clarity to this statement. Ortberg says, this was before the fall of man, so man was in right standing with God. So, so get that. So man, this is before the fall. Man is in perfect fellowship with God. Everything's good between mankind and God. He was in perfect intimacy with God, yet God, God said man was alone and that it was not good. So apparently, there is a human-sized hole in all of us that God will not fill. We talk about the God-shaped hole that only God can fill that's inside of every one of us, and that's very true. But looked at from this perspective, apparently there is a human-sized hole in each of us that God chooses not to fill and can only be filled through meaningful relationships. We talk about this scripture in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, perspective of marriage, and it certainly has that application. But when looked at in light of Joel Ortberg's statement, we see that it has wider consequences and bigger, bigger meaning and application to relationships in general. The idea then is, is that we were made for relationships. What happens, what happens when, we move, when we're not in proper relationships and we become isolated? I want you to think about that for just a moment. What happens when a person becomes isolated? There's a very interesting passage of Scripture in 1 Kings chapter 18 and chapter 19. The prophet Elijah has this amazing encounter with the false prophets of Baal. This is the passage where Elijah calls down fire from heaven and consumes their, their basically their sacrifice. He, he had had them call to Baal and say, uh, or had had them call to Baal and ask Baal to answer by fire. Of course, that didn't happen. So Elijah taunts them and says, maybe, maybe your God is deaf. Maybe he's asleep. Maybe he can't hear. Maybe you should shout louder. Elijah, it looks to me like, is having a pretty good time with this encounter because he's kind of bullying them just a little bit, and I mean that in every possible positive sense of the word. And he is he's kind of taking, taking a, a, an affirmative stance here with these prophets. So when he calls fire down from heaven from Jehovah God and consumes the prophets, consumes the sacrifice, this is quite a miracle. This is quite a demonstration of God's power. And then Elijah turns to King Ahab and says, you need to get ready because I hear the sound of abundance of rain. There had been three and a half years of famine up until this point. And now Elijah's saying, I'm calling for rain, and it's going to rain. He outruns King Ahab's chariot to the city. So if I'm Elijah at this point, I'm on a high. I'm feeling pretty good about my standing with God. I'm feeling pretty good about what God wants to do through me. This is a high moment. This is a victory. But then something happens as we transition to 1 Kings chapter 19. The queen, Jezebel, hears what happens to her prophets, namely that Elijah has called down fire from heaven that's consumed them, and she says, I'm going to kill Elijah, and I'm going to make sure that he is annihilated. And something very interesting happens. Elijah flees to the wilderness, and there he goes from that really high high 
to a really low low. He goes so low that he asked God to kill him. I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say that Elijah became suicidal, very depressed, very upset, very despair. But the reason I believe that he felt this way and that he 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 uh, dropped or, or, or sunk to such a state is found in first Kings chapter 19, verse three. The Bible says that Elijah sent his servant to another city and Elijah went into the wilderness alone. When we go into wilderness places alone, all sorts of bad things start to happen because we were made for relationships. I want to tell you, you don't want to go into a wilderness situation alone. Look at what happened to Elijah. I want to tell you, um, as you all know, when Dawson got sick uh, the, la the last two and a half years fighting leukemia, that first night we were in the emergency room, and then as news started coming out and, and, and things started uh, developing, we realized he was very, very, very sick and that this would not be a short-term deal. Um, again, my brother, the succinct one, came back into the ICU unit where we were standing by Dawson's bed, and he looked at me and he goes, dude, you've got friends. And I looked at him and I'm like, I don't even know what you mean. I don't even know what you're talking about. And he said, well, follow me. I walked out into the waiting room there at the ICU unit and the waiting area, the waiting room was full of people spilling out into the hall, up and down the hall with people that cared about my family and cared about our well-being. It was people from all, all, all of our life going all the way back, just people from so many different segments of our life that had come to check on us. What I'm saying is, is that when you go into a wilderness situation, you need valuable relationships. You need people to stand with us. And I told somebody just today, we'd have never made it through that situation without strong people standing behind us, lifting us up, praying for us. You want to have strong relationships when you go through a dark time. So when you don't, when you go through an isolation or, or, or when you become isolated, if you choose not to pursue relationships, you fall into the trap that Elijah fell in. So let's look at four things that happen when we're isolated and don't have healthy relationships. Number one, we lose our perspective. When we live in isolation, we can easily lose perspective on life. That's because there is no objective voice calling us toward balance. I want to say that again. There is no objective voice calling us towards balance. Our lows become lower and our highs become higher. Our point of view becomes clouded and things can seem to be worse or better than they really are. We're out of balance, really, when we're in isolation. It's a lost perspective, and we have no one to help us find that balance. The second thing that happens is fear of intimacy, and I'm trying to move very quickly here tonight because I have a lot of material, and I do want to have you out of here by at least 9.15, so we're, we're working towards that right here. So fear of intimacy. If you've never had close friendships or close relationships, then you're going to tend to be more fearful of that kind of relationship. People who fear intimacy think that if others really got to know them, then they wouldn't like them. And so they would rather stay disconnected than to risk that rejection. That's a mindset. That's a, that's a false belief that you can fall into if you stay isolated and don't pursue meaningful relationships. The third thing that happens in isolation is selfishness. Look at your neighbor and say, I hope you're not selfish. 
Disconnected people tend to be more selfish. Isolation breeds selfishness. If the sum total, get this, because everybody, everybody in here is about to have somebody pop into your mind right here. You ready? If the sum total of a person's life is defined by their schedule, their needs, their agenda, their desires, chances are they're suffering from a good dose of selfishness. And everybody say amen. Because you're thinking about somebody right now. Over time, a disconnected person becomes self-absorbed. And when that happens, life is seen through a very narrow lens. You know the me monster? Everybody knows the me monster. Me, 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 I, I, I. The fourth thing that can happen in isolation is poor health. Poor health. Now listen to this. You're going to find this fascinating. In his book, Everybody's Normal Till You Get to Know Them, Once again, Joel Ortberg refers to a study on relationships that tracked the lives of 7,000 people over nine years. Researchers found that the most isolated people were three times more likely to die than those with strong relationships. That's pretty clear. Probably not too many people would be surprised by that fact. But listen to this. People who had bad health habits such as smoking, poor eating habits, alcohol abuse, that kind of thing. People that had poor health habits but strong social ties live significantly longer than people who had good health habits but lived in isolation. So the moral of the story is it's better to eat a donut with your friends than to eat broccoli alone. Can I get a good amen on that one? Living life alone has negative health outcomes, negative relational outcomes, but most important, living life alone does not accurately reflect the one whose image we bear. And we bear the image of Jesus. Did you know that Jesus taught meaningful relationships? It's very true. Jesus modeled strong, healthy human relationships. He had 12 disciples. One of those betrayed him, and even knowing that would happen, Jesus still sowed into him, sowed into him, sowed into him, spent time with him, spent the better part of every waking day for three and a half years sowing into these 12 men, one of which would turn out to be a traitor. Jesus had friends such as Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, and what to me is really interesting is Jesus would try, the Bible says, to go off and spend some time alone in prayer and study, and and no doubt just rejuvenation, just trying to get just just some time to himself to kind of to to refuel the tank. And the Bible says the crowds would follow him everywhere they would, everywhere he would go. They would press and they would try to get to him. They'd seek him out. That tells me that Jesus had a profound effect on people, and that he pursued people with a love and with a value and with a relationship. But here's the thing. Jesus modeled that for us, and we see that in the Scriptures, but he also wants us to do the same thing. And I say that because in John chapter 13, verses 34 through uh, through 35, he says, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. I believe that one of the greatest tools in our evangelistic toolbox is to develop strong relationships with one another 
because that is how the world will know that we are truly Jesus followers. And I believe that's true now more than ever. When you look around in our society, in our culture, and you see so, much, so many broken relationships, and you see so much anger and strife and, 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 and disagreement and argument and, and, and just hate, you see all these things. When people look to us and they see that we have love one for another, that we have valuable relationships one with another, that we're in community with one another, I believe that's one of the greatest evangelistic testimonies that we could have to the world as they watch us live our lives for Jesus. But there's, here's the thing. To do that, we must be intentional about our relationships. And small groups are one way to be strategic about investing in relationships with one another and with our community. Small groups are one way to be strategic about investing in relationships with one another and with our community. Look at your neighbor and say, the man's communicating. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. I'm glad you are, are with me. The reason I had you do that is I just I wanted to break it up just a tad, just kind of signal a little transition here. So from that backdrop of, of kind of a biblical base, one from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament, of biblical godly precedent for strong relationships, I now want to transition into the grace vision for small groups and how we desire to apply that vision. And so the first thing I want to say, and I'll probably repeat this several times over the next few minutes as I, as I dive into this part of it, I don't want our small group leaders to get nervous. And I don't want you to, you know, I don't want you to run out or, or start throwing uh, eggs and tomatoes at me or anything like that. We're not changing anything fundamentally. What you do in small groups and how they're working is, is going 100. It's 100%. We're very excited about that and how they're going. What we're wanting to do is bring structure and vision to it on, on a wholesale scale so that they can grow that they can multiply and that we can have even more small groups going forward. But here's the deal. Small, the way we do small groups over time has changed. And, and what I mean by that when I say we, the way small groups has, has uh, the way the church, the church world, church culture has done small groups over time has changed because our culture has changed. And so if you have been at Grace Church for a lengthy period of time, then you've seen us do small groups in several different ways over the years. We have, we have launched small groups several different times in several different ways. What I'm talking about here tonight is already in place at Grace Church. We're just kind of going public with it. It's been going on behind the scenes. We're just going public. But the reason it's working across the board in church culture and the reason it's working here at Grace Church is because it's a better response to how our culture thinks and acts and works in this era and in this time. So there is, with what I'm talking about tonight, there is tremendous accountability that we're building into this for our small group leaders. There's tremendous bringing you that we're coming online and bringing you as small group leaders. And we're bringing clarity around what we want to accomplish in our small groups. So now's the time to get on board the small group train. Now is the time to get on board. Here we go. 
So over the past several years, if you didn't know, you hopefully you do, hopefully you've been reading your emails and you hear what comes across the pulpit, but if you didn't know, we've experienced some organic growth in the area of small groups. So, you know, we didn't just put up a big post poster and say, you know, uh, today we're drawing the line and this starts small groups and here we go. We didn't take that approach. We have, we've just let them kind of grow organically and they've kind of come into place and come into being organically over the past several years. And so what I mean by organically is I mean they, they would just start. Somebody would get an idea for a small group. They would, they would go to pastor and talk it over, get a plan, and we would roll it out and, and roll with it. And you would see announcements and hear announcements and things would start, start building around that. And they've done very, very, very well. We're very pleased with how they're going. They've done well. And so right now, as a result of that, as a result of these groups beginning to flourish and, to, um, and, and, and beginning to be established, we now have eight small groups functioning right now. And so you may say, well, Brother Dave, what are those eight small groups? I'm glad you asked because I'm going to tell you what those eight small groups are. Are you ready? There is the card-making class that is led by Sheila Landry. There's dude food led by Nathan Henson. And I don't know if it's supposed to be dude food or dude food. Not sure which one of those it is, but it's something like that. It's dude food by Nathan Henson. Then there's the gun club led by Troy Swallow. And then there's the overcomers led by Tom Laidlaw and Diane Bowling. And then there's Pillar led by Kara Swallow. And then Sister LaWanda Wheeler leads Time to Slice and Dice and Cooking with Grace. And I'm counting those as two small groups because Time to Slice and Dice is the cooking class for the kids. Cooking with Grace is the cooking class for adults. And then there's Threads of Grace led by Renita Hoskins. Now, let, let me just back up and tell you a little bit about what each one of those do. The card-making class is pretty awesome. It's handmade cards, like greeting cards, like you would send to somebody on a special occasion or just thinking of you, or et cetera. Sister Sheila tells you, shows you, instructs you how to make a handmade card from scratch. And there's some pretty creative things that you can do along that line. Dude Food is a guy's group that they go eat and try new restaurants and try new burgers and try new cuisine and that sort of thing. The Gun Club is a group of guys and, and sometimes gals that get together and go shooting at the, at the shooting range to improve their gun skills. Overcomers is our seasoned saints, and they meet on a regular basis either here at the church or at someone's house. Sometimes they take a trip together. They have a lot of fun. Pillar is a ladies' Bible study led by Kara Swallow that they do, ladies-only Bible study there. I mentioned the cooking class, and then Threads of Grace is a knitting class. Who knew that knitting was so popular? But it is, and they have an amazing time at Starbucks knitting, um, and they call it Threads of Grace. And so that's the eight small groups that we have online right now at Grace. And I'm excited about what they're doing. I'm excited about the momentum they have, and I really appreciate the leadership in each small group and what our leaders are doing. And so I think we ought to just give them a big hand right now and let them know how much we appreciate the work and the vision that they have. Thank you. Thank you so much. So I want to be very clear here. What we're doing tonight, what we're doing tonight is we're formally bringing to you the idea and the concept of small groups, wanting to move forward with it, 
building on this base that I've just mentioned, what I've just described and what I've just explained. Building off of that success, we want to enlarge the vision of small groups, enlarge what small groups can be, and make them even stronger through marketing and accountability. By setting expectations and parameters in a structured way, we want to empower small groups to flourish, multiply, and be an effective evangelism tool for reaching our community. And we want to open up room for even more small groups to start. I was going through some material. You heard us all talk about, or you heard a lot of talk about the GROW Conference over in Birmingham, Alabama with the Church of the Highlands. I saw where this spring they launched 730 small groups just from their home campus at Grants Mill Campus this spring. The point of that is, is there's no limit to how many or what kind of small groups we can have. So they, as you get ideas, and we'll talk about this in a minute, but as you get ideas, we can do more and more small groups. So what we've done to bring accountability, to bring structure, to bring the ability to market them better, to uh, the ability to grow them, to make room for more, we've developed a small group guide, which is really like a leader's handbook. And that's what I mentioned to you earlier on April the 14th. We'll be meeting with our small group leaders um, to take a deeper dive into that vision and to communicate how we're going to structure it going forward. Just to give you an example of what I'm talking about and to kind of get out of the, get out of the uh, jargon of things like accountability and parameters and structure and give you a little more specifics, an example is, is that we have a very robust church software now called Servant Keeper. And through that Servant Keeper software, we can, we can do all sorts of things from text messages to email to, to keeping attendance on who attends our small groups and following up with guests and, and, and making sure they're taking next steps. There's, there's just so much we can do through that Servant Keeper software. So we're going to be introducing that over time to our small group leaders. So that's the kind of thing we're talking about. You can, through, small, uh, through Servant Keeper, you can do marketing campaigns and you can do, uh, you know, get the word out and do communication better and all those sorts of things. So those are the kinds of details that we're going to get into with our small group leaders going forward. And that's what I'm talking about when I talk about bringing more uh, marketing and guidelines and those sorts of things. So with all of that being said, and hopefully you kind of have a platform of where we're at now and where we want to go with our small groups, I now want to spend the next few moments just casting the vision of what we believe small groups can and should be here at Grace Church. Small groups have one simple purpose, to bring people together. Look at your neighbor and say, small groups are to bring people together. Can you say it a little louder? All right. Just making sure. I didn't hear you the first time. We believe that God created us to live in community with others, and only then can we experience a truly full life, which is what I spent the first part of this study talking about from the Scriptures. We believe that life change happens in the context of relationships. So watch the screen. Meaningful relationships can be hard to find. But small groups exist to make life-changing relationships relevant and accessible to you. 
So this is where I'm talking about being intentional about small groups and intentional or rather being intentional, intentional about relationships through the conduit of small groups. Check out Ecclesiastes chapter four, verses nine through twelve. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. Again, if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. So that's the reason small groups do exist and will continue to exist at Grace Church. At Grace Church, we believe our church must grow larger and smaller at the same time. We grow larger to reach as many people as possible with the life-giving message of Jesus. But we desire to gather in small groups to build community and care for people. Our vision is to base our small group model on the early church as described in the Bible in the book of Acts. In Acts, you read about the tremendous growth of the first church in Jerusalem where small group meetings in homes helped lay the foundation. Check out Acts chapter 5, verse 42. And daily in the temple and in every house, they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. That's such a great verse because notice that it says they went to church and they went house to house. So it, it wasn't one or the other. It wasn't either or. It was both and. They didn't stop going to church because they said, well, I'm going to my small group, so that ought to do it. But they also didn't say, well, we have a nice church and things happen great on Sunday, so we don't need small groups. It was both. It was both in the temple and house to house, ceasing not to preach and teach Jesus Christ. Check out the three things that small groups offer people. Number one, they offer people a place to connect. Small groups offer people a place to connect. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 22, Paul said, To the weak I become as weak, that I might gain the weak. I made all things to all men, that I may by all means save some. And that verse is going to have even more relevance here in just a moment when I get into the structure, the, the specific structure of small groups. We were not made to live life alone, as I mentioned. God created us for community, and small groups provide a place to connect with others, share life, and grow in faith together. That's what small groups do. So they offer people a place to connect. Number two, they offer a place to protect. First John chapter 3, verse 16, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. So we ought to be looking out for one another. Ought to know that you have my back, and you ought to know that I have your back. It is through life together that our problems become smaller and God uses others to bring support and, and encouragement to our lives. Small groups become a place where others don't just know your name but care about what is happening in your life and they want to support you in your spiritual journey. This is kind of like what I was talking about when Dawson and my family went through such a rough time two and a half, almost three years ago, or a little over three years ago now, having that group come beside us it was not a formal small group in the sense of what we're talking about tonight, but in some ways it had the characteristics of a small group of people that we trusted that could come alongside of us, put their arms around us, and help us. So it was a place to protect somebody. We knew somebody, somebody had our back in a tough situation. 
Number three, the small group environment offers people a place to grow, a place to grow. Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. We believe every person is created with God-given personality and gifting to make a difference in the world. That's why we do personality and gifting here at Grace Church, because everyone has a unique contribution, a unique personality and gifting to make a difference in the world. And so small groups are a place you can grow with others to become more like Jesus and reach the potential God has put inside you. So that's what small groups do for us here at Grace Church, or I should say that's what we aspire for them to do as we move forward. So here's what we want small groups to look like. This is where I'm going to talk about the structure of small groups, tell you what I'm talking about when I say small groups, what we want them to look like here at Grace Church, what they do look like at Grace Church currently, and and then we'll begin to bring this in for a landing. So it's at Grace Church, get this, your life is your group. At Grace, we use an interest-based approach to small groups. And so this is what I was referring to earlier. Remember I told you over the course of, of the last decade or so, we've, tried, uh, we, we've, we've implemented, not tried, we've implemented a couple of different models at a couple of different times of small group. This model right here, that, that as, as I mentioned, we have eight groups that are currently functioning in this model, and we desire to grow it. This model is the current model that's working here at Grace Church and in church culture in the United States because it brings in this interest-based approach to small groups. Your life is your group. So you base your small group over things you're already doing. You don't have to add something new to your life or, 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 or add something new to your schedule or try to find some way in an already overwhelmed life to, to, to force in another event or another commitment. Your life becomes your group, and you meet based on things that you're interested in. This means we want people to gather together based on the things they enjoy and the things that are important to them. So essentially, the things you are already doing in your life are the things that can make up your small group. Free market leaders form their group around their gifts or interests. And so you notice the eight that I gave you already, those are all formed around an interest, such as the card-making class or, or, or cooking class. Those are formed, those are interest-based. Those are things that people are interested in, and they gather together based around that thing that they're interested in, and they develop relationships with one another in that context. Another great example you may have seen uh, in the in the um, uh, the the daily or the or I'm sorry the weekly download the weekly information that comes out from Grace Church on Mondays. Saw where Heidi is doing a a hair clinic for ladies in the coming weeks. That's a perfect example of what a small group or, or where a small group could start. And Heidi, well, I'll we'll be talking about that because that's an interest. Base that's an interest base how to do ladies' hair, how to comb hair, that sort of thing, and you can base an interest group around that and enter into relationships that way. The groups, the group structure of this groups meet in a variety of places. You might meet in a home, you might meet at a park, restaurant, coffee shop, office. Uh, it could be anywhere. We have groups that meet in the Alexander Center. We have, as I mentioned, the knitting class uh, Threads of Grace meets at Starbucks 
And so um, that's a good reason right there to, to, to join the knitting group, by the way, just because they meet, meet at Starbucks and get a good cup of coffee right there or, or get a, you know, a triple skinny latte or something like that. That's a that's that's a good a good thing right there. They're in the they're in the will of the Lord. Uh, so they meet in a, in a variety of places. But no matter here's the deal. So no matter what your group meets about. And so this signals a little a subtle shift. This is a, a subtle shift that we'll be talking to the small group leaders about. When you meet, every meeting should consist of four components, all right? And this is not hard. It's not, it's not you know, you don't have to, um, you don't have to get out your, your, you know, your notebook and start taking pages and pages of notes. It's easy. Every, every meeting should consist of four things. The first is just casual fellowship. See, I told you it was easy. Casual fellowship. Just a laid-back time for group members to talk and get to know each other. You know, you, you, you don't want to have a small group where everybody walks in and you make them salute and come to attention and take their seat and stare at the wall and it all become very robotic. You want to just kind of have a laid back, just a casual time of fellowship, just where you're talking, catching up from whatever happened the last time that you met. So you start with casual fellowship. And then there's the activity or the discussion, and that's just what, what the group meets on. So this part is the, is the knitting or the card making or the cooking or the, or the food or, or whatever it is you're meeting around the, the ladies' hairdos, this is the activity, what you're doing right here. And then the third component is prayer. You want to you work prayer into your group meeting some kind of way. And this is not, again, this is not robotic. This is not, you know, some just overly structured deal where you have everybody kneel down at their seat and pray for 15 minutes. But you just work in prayer in a, in a very, in a, in a very non-confrontational way. And just maybe you open the group meeting with pray, prayer. You just say, hey, before we get started tonight, I just want to pray for everybody. Just just pray that we have a, a good meeting here tonight. I mean, it could be as simple as that. You might have somebody there in your group that asks for prayer, and you might just just very, very kindly and, and very courteously pray for that person just uh, without bringing too much attention to them or putting them on the spot. But finding a way to incorporate prayer into your small group. And then the fourth is a spiritual component. This is what, this is what separates the small group model from your neighborhood social club is this spiritual component. So somewhere in your small group meeting, you just want to casually work in a spiritual component. It could just be as easy as, as saying, hey, you know, I, I was reading the Bible the other day, and, and this scripture just jumped out at me. It said, iron sharpens iron. And, and then you just make a couple of comments about that. Or it, it could just be saying, you know, I've been reading this book lately, and and I've been really challenged in my faith to, to think about things a little bit differently. Or I heard a message the other day that our pastor preached about about using all the arrows out of your quiver. Let me tell you what that means. You know, so you just you just casually work it into the discussion. Again, not high pressure. We're not trying to sell anybody anything. We're not trying to to force anybody to to buy something. It's not you know it's not Amway. And so if you're if you're in Amway, I apologize. But we you know we're not trying to get anybody to to sign up. We just we just want to just encourage them and and minister to them. And that brings me really to my to my final point. Final point. Every group, every group when we meet, we want to make sure we incorporate ESPN. And that, that doesn't mean that we want to watch sports together, okay? We're not, we're not talking about the sports channel. But ESPN is just a simple way to remember four things you want to do in every small group meeting. Encourage, that's the E. S is for scripture. P is for prayer. And N is the next step. And I think the encourage scripture and prayer I think you kind of get that based on what I just told you. But the, the, the real thing that I want to highlight tonight as we come in for a landing is that next step, that next step. Here at Grace Church, especially in small groups, but across the board, we want to start thinking in terms of next steps. 
Not thinking in terms of programs, but thinking in terms of next steps. You remember Pastor's Bible study from a few Wednesday nights ago, a couple of six weeks ago. He talked about how in the 80s the focus was on programs, and that model worked in that, in that culture and in that time. Even some in the 90s programs worked, but, but now church culture has moved past where being program-based or program-heavy, we want to focus on next steps. Focus on next steps. So what do I mean by that? What do I mean when I say we want to focus on next steps? We're going to have, we're, we're going to train our small groups to recognize, to begin to recognize where everybody in the small group is in terms of their life, in terms of their relationship with God, in terms of their spirituality, to be able to pick up on subtle cues of where they are in their walk with God or maybe where they're not in their walk with God. And then to be equipped, to be equipped to help them take the next step. You say, well, how do I know what the next step is? We're going to talk about that in the small group leader training class. There are ways that we can identify what that person's next step is and then encourage them to, na- to take the next step. So, for example, for example, we all know and believe here tonight that the real win would be to have somebody come to the altar, receive the Holy Ghost, be baptized in Jesus' name. I mean, we would, we would celebrate that. That's, the, that's what we want. That's what we want to reap the harvest and see people filled. But somebody coming to your small group right here, that, that may be several steps down the path before they get there. That might be like 12 steps before they get to that point. So we just want to encourage them to take the next step. So for them, they, it might be a guest that's been coming to your small group. The next step for them might just be to have them attend an event here on the Grace Church campus, to come instead of meeting only at the small group, have them come attend something at Grace Church. That might be the next step for them. And then when they take that step, we recognize, hey, man, they took that step. Now we're going to see about taking the next step, which might be, you know, getting them in a home Bible study or, or have them come to another event. It might be as simple as that or, 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 or going to their house for supper, whatever. We'll, we'll identify what that next step should be and have them take it. And that's the win. And then before you know it, they're stepping closer and closer and closer to a meaningful, lasting, life-changing relationship with God. And that's really the point of all of this, is to help us all grow closer to God by growing closer in our relationships with one another. And that's the win, and that's where we want to be with this. So this, then, is now the vision of Grace Church for small groups, taking what we've done so far and building on that to make it better. And so you've probably inferred by now, you probably figured out that I am the small group leader, the small group coordinator. It's nice to meet all of you, by the way. Nice to meet you. I'm Dave, the small group leader. And, and so I'll be conducting these trainings. But here's the deal. The reason I say that is I want our small group leaders to know, and, and those of you that begin to, st- to start small groups through this process, I want you to know you have the support and the, the, the um, protection, if I could use that word, of not only me, but also pastors. So we're, we're coming alongside of you, bringing you support, bringing you that structure, bringing you the things that you need to do the very best you can in these areas. So, so what I'm saying is, is I'm throwing out these ideas and throwing out these thoughts about bringing people to the next step and you know, doing the next step. I don't want that to freak you out or, or, or make you nervous. I want you to know that you have my support, you have pastor support. We're going to help you do these things and, and come alongside of you with a very, very systematic plan and, uh, and vision on that. So stay tuned for more of that. 
So having said all of that, all of that, I share this in conclusion. I recently finished a book called The Revenge of Analog. The Revenge of Analog was the name of the book. And the book is about how despite all of the technology, all of the advances, all of the things, the iPhones and all these things, the analog, which of course, you know, analog just means the physical things that we can touch and see. The analog stuff just doesn't seem to go away. And it's a fascinating book. It's amazing. He talks about how the vinyl record segment of society is thriving. Did you know that there's like a whole subculture that collects and listens to vinyl records? There are people who don't want to hear music in the pure digital sound. You know, we, we talk about how great that is. There are people that would rather hear the scratchy kind of retro sound of a vinyl record. And that's a whole subculture that continues to grow. And like on a basis of revenue is a is a flourishing industry. Uh, the same could be true with, uh, said with photography. There's a there's a move now to get away from digital photos and get into that analog, you know, camera snap. Go develop the film and have that that print in your hand that you can touch and see. And and they even get into like these gritty. The the way you process the film becomes gritty, and and it just has that texture and people like it. You know, like the the pictures from the 60s and the 70s and the way they look like they're kind of yellowed and all that. But one, one segment of the book, he focuses on an interesting dynamic that I was not ever, had never heard of, did not know it existed. But there is also this subculture in our society that is into gaming. And I'm not talking about video games. I'm talking about board games. I'm talking about analog, hard copy, physical games. What's so interesting about that, and the reason I say it with a smile on my face, is in some larger cities, such as Toronto is the place he gave as an example, there are now these coffee shops that are being that are springing up, built around the premise that people can come and get a board game off of the shelf and play a board game with all of their friends right there at the coffee shop. This particular one is called Snakes and Lattes Coffee Shop in Toronto. So if you're ever in Toronto, you might want to check it out. He said they even have what they call game gurus that can offer you advice on which game to select from their vast selection of board games that you might like to play with your friends. And so that's very interesting to me and very fascinating. But the point of it all is this, and the reason I conclude with it, is that people still want to gather together and have meaningful relationship, meaningful interaction with one another, spending time together, either pursuing a hobby, playing a game, or just one-on-one -on -one communication and having a good time enjoying each other's company. That component is still hardwired in all of us, regardless of the technological advances of our society. And so from that, we want to go forth and build a small group culture at Grace, as I have outlined here today. So as you stand tonight, I do want to say, so where do we go from here? Um, the, the, I hope, I hope that d during the evening as we were presenting that some of you had some great ideas for small groups, you know, that you were thinking, hey, man, I, you know, I collect comic books and so therefore I would love to start an interest-based group on comic books or whatever. I'm just giving an example, but if you do, if you do, please come see me, come talk to me. Let's talk about what it would look like to get that started. We want to get small groups up and running Based on, on what I've done to here tonight and presented here tonight, we want to start your small group. So come talk to me and let's have a, a discussion about it. So from there, small groups are officially launched here at Grace Church, and um, I'll, I'll be around. If you have any questions want to talk about it further, 
we can certainly do that, and I look forward to that very much. Let's pray together before we're dismissed. Jesus, I thank you for your presence that I feel. I thank you for the power of your word, and I'm so thankful, Lord, that you've given us these methods, Lord, to reach others and to build a stronger church culture for you and for the furtherance of your kingdom. I pray that you would bless our efforts, Lord. I pray everyone here tonight would be blessed as they leave this place and that they would come back Sunday hungry for more of you and ready for an outpouring of the Holy Ghost. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody say amen. Amen. We will see you Sunday morning in church at 10 o'clock and 11 o'clock.